the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and in love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children still walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we would love one another. And this is the love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who did not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Here today. Turn back to Second John. Jake read that for us. And if you don't have a Bible, pull out that black pew Bible. Turn to page 1214. Again, we just finished First John and walking into Second John. We'll do just an introduction this morning. We could teach the whole... We could teach this in, in a, a morning, but because we're taking the Lord's Supper, that's something we don't want to rush through, and so we're going to just give you an introduction this morning, and then we'll come back and finish it next week. We're going to look at Second John, verses 1 through 4. There in verse 1, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. The author here is John, the apostle, and he's writing to the elect lady and her children, who I believe is none other than the church. And some would suggest that this is a specific person. Uh, think of, uh, think about the imagery used elsewhere in John in the gospel. He talks about the bride of Christ. I think that's referring to the church. And look at verse 13 where he says, The children of your elect sister greet you. That's a similar verbiage. So it's my view that this is written to the church in and around Ephesus. You remember in 1 John, think about this. The church in Ephesus was founded, began by Paul, the apostle, and now it's being shepherded. John is the overseer of this church there, meeting in houses scattered in and around Ephesus. That's pretty neat heritage, right? Well, who's your pastor? Well, it was the Apostle Paul, and now it's John the Beloved, one of Jesus' closest friends. That'd be quite um, a heritage there. You don't have quite the heritage here at Beaver. But, you know, not even close, buddy. But I appreciate you saying that. Um, yeah, and sometimes we have different views about things. Some things aren't clear. Most things are really clear in Scripture. Some say, oh, the, the Scriptures are really hard to understand. No, they're not. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, we, we can understand. Even lost people can understand the Bible, right? But we, we understand its significance, right? 
the Bible isn't hard to understand, but there's sometimes where things aren't real clear. And so when we have texts that are debatable, what do we do? We land softly on those things. The point is the same regardless, uh, whether it's to an individual lady or to the church as a whole. And there's applications to individuals and the church. So we land softly on that. And, but I, I think this is referring to the church there in and around Ephesus. In Second John, it's the second smallest, shortest book in the Bible. It contains, in the original language, in the original Greek, there's 245 words. Second only to Third John, which has 219 words in the original language, right? And this letter follows on the heel of 1 John. If it's written to a church, it'll be written to the church in and around Ephesus in John's latter years. He's an elderly man. He's addressing the same issues, real similar issues that he did in 1 John. That's false teachers. Those, there's people in and around the church affiliated with the church or have been affiliated with the church that don't embrace the biblical Jesus. And they're having influence on the church. If you think about it, in those days, the culture, church culture, teachers will be sent out. Paul, if you think about, he sends Timothy, right, Titus, here and there to check on these churches that he had started. And sometimes he'll send them with a letter, maybe a letter of recommendation. We see Paul doing that time and time again. But what would happen is the churches would receive these teachers, these apostles in some cases, these disciples, into their home. And they were there and they would preach and they would teach. Matthew chapter 6, we see that as Jesus sends out the 12. Matthew chapter 6, verse 8 through 11. He charged them, Jesus did, charged the disciples, the 12, to take nothing for their journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And why is that? Well, they're to trust the Lord, but also they're to be cared for by the church. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, see, you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So we see him sing out the 12. What do they do? They went and they stayed with other believers in their homes. We see it again when he sends out the 72. Luke chapter 10, verse 3 through 11. Jesus again speaking to these Believers, these disciples, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Again, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say what? Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. But what do we see in both these incidents? He sends out the 12. He sends out the 72. And he says, yeah, Stay in these homes of the people that live there. And so that's kind of the, the church culture. The church would receive these teachers, these Bible teachers, these apostles, these disciples. But think about this. You can imagine the faithful preachers and teachers staying in these homes. What about the unfaithful, false teachers? They would try to stay in those homes as well. And so what this letter is, this is, this is the apostle John. He's addressing this congregation who's under his pastoral care. 
and he's heard an encouraging report from, from others that they were walking in the truth. But John, John is warning them against those who don't hold to the truth. We have to be careful about those type of folks. And we're, we're told throughout the New Testament to be hospitable. In fact, that's one of the qualifications of being a pastor in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You should be hospitable. You should welcome people in your own home. But John is warning them against these false teachers. Don't welcome everybody into your home. So we're going to look at the first four verses this morning. Two points here. The first is that Christian love is founded upon Christian truth. We see that in the first three verses. The elder writing to this church, he says, Whom I love in truth. But not only him, but all who know the truth love you. John really loves this church. He's the beloved. Remember, we talked about it in First John. He's the beloved disciple. He's the one at the, at the Last Supper. They were reclining at the table, right? He leaned on the Lord Jesus. He was the beloved disciple, but now he is loving this church. It says, Not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us, and we will be and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Danny Aiken, in his commentary on this book, he writes, Truth and love are the twin rails on which Christianity runs. They bring authenticity and balance to our Christian confession and conduct. And many would say love is the foundation of the Christian faith. And love is important. But actually our faith is built upon Truth, right? Biblical Christianity is based and sustained by the truth of God found in the Scriptures. In verses 1 through 4, you see the word truth used five times. We embrace the truth. We study the truth. We apply the truth. Jesus, speaking of himself, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And don't, don't forget the context here in, in, in and around Ephesus. There's false teachers, and what are they saying about Christ? Jesus to them was a man who had the spirit of Christ had descended upon him at his baptism, and before he was crucified, that spirit of Christ had left him. And so when Jesus was crucified on the cross by the Romans, he, was, he died not as the God-man, but he died as Jesus of Nazareth, the man. So they had a faulty understanding of who Jesus was. They weren't embracing the truth. But we see here, truth is spoken time and time again. Truth is essential for a relationship with God. No one is born again apart from the truth. James chapter 1, verse 18. Of his own free will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. How we brought forth, how we born again, by the word of truth. We should be a kind of first fruits of, of his creatures. James 1, 18. Truth is essential for a relationship with God. You can't know the Father without knowing the Son. You can't have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. You can't be God's kid unless you embrace Jesus rightly, the biblical Jesus. Not only is it essential for salvation, but it's knowable. 
He says, I love you in truth, not only I, but also all who know the truth. It's knowable, right? It's, a, it's an objective reality. Can you know truth? You bet your life you can. You can know Jesus. It's also experience. Look at verse 2. Because the truth abides in us. It's experienced. Have you experienced truth? That's kind of swarmy-warmy, kind of subjective. It is. We can know truth. It's objective. But we also have this experience of truth, right? When we're born again, we're given the Spirit of God. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are His children. It's also eternal. This truth will be with us forever. Truth is truth and never changes. Psalm 119.89 Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Again, Danny Aiken, he writes, Truth in the biblical sense is essential, not optional. Eternal, not relative. Consistent, not changing. Permanent, not perspectival. It's forever, it's forever, and it never, ever changes. That makes me, as I was studying this, it makes me think about other texts, think about truth. We're sanctified by the truth as well. Do you remember the high priestly prayer? Jesus was there in the garden and he's praying. Sanctify them, praying for the disciples. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Maybe think about other things in Romans 14. We're judged by truth. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you, not, why do you despise your brother? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We're, we're judged by truth. So truth is really, really important. And we embrace the truth as Christians. If you're a believer, you've embraced the truth. And as a result, you've been changed. You've been born again. And you receive grace and mercy and peace. Look at verse 3. This is a, a greeting. It's part of... Every epistle in the Bible, very common way of writing in first century Palestine. But notice here it's not a prayer. Usually it's like a, a prayer. But here it's not a prayer. It's an, an affirmation that these believers will experience what? Grace and mercy and peace. How about you? Have you experienced grace and mercy and peace? If you're a believer, if you've embraced the truth, Chase, you're going to receive grace, mercy, and peace. It'd be a, it's something you, you've experienced. It's subjective, something you know, but it's also something you've experienced in your life. Have you experienced these things? But truth determines how we live, doesn't it? It determines how we think and how we speak. You talk to your wife differently if you've embraced truth. You submit to your husband. Why? Wives, because you've embraced truth. And this, this truth 
It's what knits us together. I was thinking about that, how Christians are different than other people. It knits us together. I've told you this many times. I, my, one of my better friends in life, is he was with us in the mission field. They live in Colorado, and we have nothing, absolutely nothing in common. We're so different. But we both know the Lord and love the Lord, and it just, it just binds us together. We have that in common. I mean, think about it. Look around the room, how we're so different. But yet we, we come, not just Sunday morning, and some of us are here Sunday morning, some of us are here Wednesday nights, and some of us are here during the week, right? I mean, the ladies got together last night and Tuesday, right? The men, we got together at 8 o'clock this morning. 8 o'clock. And I don't understand people that sleep in because I can't sleep in. But I know most people, a lot of people, like to sleep in. Like Reese, he's yawning now. <laughs> I mean, we're here at 8 o'clock. Jamie was here at, he and some of these guys, Chris and Bo and Jake, Mr. Bobby, they were here. Mr. Bobby here. What time did you get here? Six? You got here before six this morning, didn't you? Yeah, he got here real, real early. Why? Because we've embraced truth. It binds us together. And, and, you know, it's not like we're band parents. I know you got some band parents in here, and we're not dissing band parents. But band is like this full-time job that, that, that you do and never get paid for. But it's something the kids are involved in. we got several band parents, and it's like, it's like every Friday night, then every Saturday from when? When is it? Like, you know, the, the, all the fall. It just finished like last week, right? And you want your ball team to win so badly, but if they don't, your parents are going, oh, it's okay, it's okay. We have our Friday nights back, right? But you're not like band parents. And band parents, what they do is they're together all the time because they have this common thing. Their kids are all playing the band, and it kind of draws them together, so they have that in common. But what happens after season stops? Yeah, you won't really talk to those people much, right? You don't really have anything else in common. It's kind of like if you're, um, if you're ever in uh, a hunting lease with people. We had this hunting lease, my dad and I, and we had these guys that we really loved and cared for and, and thought a lot of. And during hunting season, we talk all the time. But when hunt season over, you know what's so strange? Like, we don't talk again until like the next hunting season. Yeah, there's just something that's missing there. But in the church, we've embraced truth. And what does that do? It just kind of bonds us together. Some of you have biological family members that you're like, eh, if I see them or not, it's okay. But people in the church, just like, man, I really miss so-and-so. I know my kids, we go out of town. We can't wait to get back. And I'm blessed because my biological family is here with us. We get to do church together. We get the best of both worlds. But you understand that it's something about truth, that we embrace truth, we embrace the biblical Jesus, and it just bonds us together. We have this something, this care and love for one another that we just you don't have with other people, with other organizations, right? We embrace the truth and we stand up for truth. It's interesting, isn't it? If you stand up for truth, here in the scripture, 
truth and love are, are bound together. If you have one, you have the other. See, if we, if we embrace the biblical Jesus and we, we embrace truth and we repent and we trust Christ, then there's a love that Eddie and I have for one another, that James and I have for one another. It just kind of binds us together. Right? But isn't it interesting if you stand for truth and you embrace truth and you stand up for it, every time you do that, almost every time, you'll be called unloving. Isn't that interesting? You stand for truth and people say that you're not loving, but yet when you stand for truth and you embrace truth, what happens is oh, it causes us to love each other more. The lost, the lost people just don't get it, right? They're missing out. They don't, they don't understand it. We love each other because we hold on to truth. They're, and we must hold on to truth. If truth goes, so goes love. If you doubt that, go be a part of a liberal church that doesn't embrace truth. They won't love you very long. Christian love is founded upon Christian truth. You can't have one without the other. Truth, embracing truth, results in a loving church, a loving people. Second point, real quickly, verse 4. We must not only embrace the truth, but we must continue to walk in it. In verse 4, I rejoice greatly. I don't just rejoice. I really rejoice. How many of you parents, you like to hear something good about your kids? Now, I'm not talking about superficial garbage, right? You, you hear people say, oh, your daughter's so cute, or your son's so handsome. You hear those things. That really doesn't mean anything to us, really, because they don't have it, they don't have anything to do with that. Oh, your daughter's so beautiful. She's turned into such a beautiful young lady. Well, that's genetics, man. God gave her that. She didn't have anything to do with that. But what really gets us going, isn't it, Chase, is when they say, oh, your, your, your son or your daughter, your child is so respectful. They're so polite. That's like, oh, that just makes you feel awesome on it, Chris. Like, man, you're... Man, Bryce, man, he's so respectful. Da, 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 da. He worked hard. He helped me so. Da. Man, I just want to tell you that, man. You got a good kid there. You're like, oh, you know? Yeah, it just makes us feel good. Well, this is John. He's caught wind. He's gotten word that the believers there in, in Ephesus, they're, they've embraced, not only have they embraced truth, right? They've been born again. We saw that with Paul, right? Second missionary journey, they became believers. He was ended up being there three years. But not only did they embrace truth once, right? But they're walking in it. They're walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And truth is, is to be obeyed. We've said truth is knowable, it's experienced, it's essential, it's eternal, but also it's, it's to be obeyed. We're commanded to embrace truth and to obey it. First Peter chapter 1. We see this truth and love being wed together. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the what? Truth for sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You see that truth and love wed together there also. And the best way to learn more is learn more truth is to, to work hard at obeying the truth you already know. We don't just embrace truth, Caitlin, but we walk in it. We learn it, we obey what we know, and then what happens? We learn more. But we learn more as we obey. 
It's kind of why would, why would the Lord teach you more if you're not willing to obey what you are doing? That's part of the reason why our small groups on Sunday morning, our small groups on Sunday night, what we do is we teach the text like we're, we're teaching 2 John 1 through 4. Next week in your small group, that's what small group leaders will teach. You think, well, that's kind of redundant. Well, it could be, but you typically there's a lot of meat left on the bones that I don't get to teach through just because of time. But what it does, it slows us down, right? Helps us work on, do we really know this and how are we applying it to our lives? Jesus said it this way in John chapter 17. People were asking Jesus, well, how does this guy, this itinerant preacher, how does he know so much? He hasn't studied formally. He ain't been to divinity school. And this is how he responded. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Listen to this. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me, the Father's. Jesus says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Are you willing to obey what you've been taught? Do you want to obey the Lord? Submit to God's will, obey him. There's, there's a, such a thing as greater understanding that only comes through a willingness to act on what you already know. That's why we have churches and we have people that's been in churches for years, like older folks that are still really immature Christians. It's because we, we learn a little bit, but we don't apply it, right? We learn a little bit, and we go, hey, yeah, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. We never apply it to our lives, right? We're not obeying the truth, and so we just kind of stay there. So we've been a Christian 20 years and we're still kind of an infant. We still struggle with the same old sin. We still don't know the Bible any more than we did previously. So we, we learn truth, but we have to continue to walk in it. We obey and we obey and we obey. That's why small groups are so important. I'm going to encourage you to be involved in a small group. If you're like, well, I don't really know what kind of small group I need to be a part of. Well, come talk to me and I'll give you some suggestions. But what happens in a small group is people know what's going on in your life and they can encourage you in that applying these principles that we're learning. You can pray and ask them, hey, pray for me that I'll be able to apply these truths. The false teachers, they had gone out of the church. They didn't embrace truth. They didn't persevere in their faith. They didn't embrace truth. They turn loose of it. I saw a man recently that I was counseling. He and his wife were having difficulty. She had moved out, and he called me, and he didn't go to our church. He said, hey, I've known you for many years. I wonder if you could help us. And I was like, well, I'll try. And they came, and we met. I met with him, met with her, and kind of got the gist of the situation. And we met together. I said, hey, we're going to meet together, but we're not going to address any of your problems. Because they had issues. You know, it was like throwing stuff, cussing fighting, throwing stuff kind of fits, right? We're not going to address any of these issues. We're just going to kind of start from the beginning and talk about, look at the scriptures, see what the scriptures say about marriage, and we're going to learn what the Bible says about marriage and what the Bible says about a husband's role and a wife's role, da da da, da. 
And so we begin to meet and we begin to study, and we're about halfway in the middle of our first time together. And he says, wait, wait, wait a minute. I think we need to address some of these issues. And he started talking about the issue he wanted to address. Well, she just jumps up and says, I'm done. And she walks out. I looked at the guy and said, I told you this is kind of how we're going to handle this, but undoubtedly you had your thoughts on what you needed to do, so I guess you don't need my help any longer. He's calling me, he's texting me. I'm like, brother, I don't, what do I, why would I respond to you? You're like a, somebody who knows what they ought to do, but yet they don't do it. I don't have time for that. That's a waste of my time. John, in his second epistle, he's calling this church to, to live in the truth, to hold on to the truth, even as they live and work among liars and storytellers and fibbers and false teachers. He's echoing what Paul had already written, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. Like pillars on a cathedral or a temple upholding the roof, the, the church, believers, we uphold the truth. We come week in and week out and we read the scriptures and we sing the scriptures and we study the scriptures. We don't author the truth. We support it, we uphold it, and we share it, and we obey it. To do anything else will be to neglect our calling our purpose. We embrace the truth, but we walk in it continually, applying it, obeying it, and we're learning more and applying and obeying. That's how we mature. Well, what do we do application-wise here? I think, firstly, we love the church. If we embrace the truth, we'll love the church, and we should, we should love the church. And not just Beaver Baptist Church, but those that other believers maybe you work with and they go to other fellowships. You should love them and encourage them. And I think number two, we'd be on the lookout for the ever-present threat of false teachers. And we're going to get into more of that next week. And I'm not saying be a, you know, a self-righteous heresy hunter. You see those types. You know some of those types. I'm not saying be that. But just be on your guard against false teachers. And that's my job as the overseer, right, to help. Guard the flock. I think some of us just need to obey the truth. Yes. We're here hearing the truth week in and week out. You're, maybe you're in a small group, and maybe you're a child or a student, and your parents, they even do family devotionals, and you're just hearing truth week in and week out, day in and day out. But I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is to hear the truth over and over and refuse to believe. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and 27 for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, we've, we've heard the truth, right? But we go on sinning, we don't receive it, we don't obey it, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But what's to come? A fearful, fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. I mean, what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? You don't embrace truth there's no sacrifice for you 
there's just judgment and fire. So for some, application-wise would be that you need to embrace the truth. Maybe you need to repent of your sin. You're living for yourself. And you need to trust what Christ has done on the cross as your own. He died, but he was buried, and he rose so that you could be justified. Maybe you need to trust his death, burial, and resurrection as your own and repent. Turn from your selfishness. I think another thing we should do is we should study the truth. We should know the truth. Ephesians chapter 6, as Paul describes the armor of God. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, what do we do here? We, we study the scriptures, we learn the scriptures, we meditate on the scriptures, we obey the, what we know, what we learn. And lastly, if you're, if you're in the truth, right, from 1 John, if you've passed those three tests, the moral test, the commandment test, if your life is steered by God's commands, do you make decisions and based on what God would have you do, the scriptures? Do you live your life? What others, your coworkers, your family say, yeah, he lives like a Christian. He tries to obey the Lord. That's the commandment test. The second test is the companion test. Do you love? Do you love people? Do you love the church? Do you love other believers? Right? And then the theological test, right? Are you embracing the biblical Jesus? 